Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from our website, BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, from Tesla's tariff exemption to Facebook's currency plans, BIV's weekly tech panel examines the latest industry news. Here at BIV, we're accepting nominations for a number of awards programs. These include BC CEO Awards, Influential Women in Business, and 40 Under 40. You can also nominate Chief Technology and Innovation Officers for our inaugural BC CTO Awards. Applications are now open. You can visit BIV.com events for details. Joining me now with their perspectives on some of the latest news in technology are Ali Pordad, CEO at Progressa, on the line from Toronto. And in studio with me here in Vancouver, Linda Fawkes, CEO of Glue Technology Society. Thank you both for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you. Let's begin with Libra. This is the name of Facebook's proposed global digital currency. It's been described as a way to facilitate transactions on Facebook-owned platforms like e-commerce or purchasing or boosting ads, as well as a way to transfer funds around the globe without incurring big transaction fees. Ali, how disruptive could something like this be? Well, I mean, I, I, you can tell right away by just following Bitcoin that, uh, you know, the market thinks this is going to be very good news story for cryptocurrency. Bitcoin itself, just just from the point that Facebook announced this uh, Libra uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin itself has gone up substantially in value and so have the other cryptocurrencies. So this is, I think, being seen uh, by the cryptocurrency community as quite positive. Uh, it's obviously a, a strong vote of confidence from one of the top five largest businesses on the planet. Mm-hmm. It's been described a little bit, Linda, as a an altruistic thing. It will be run by a nonprofit, but there are some <laughs> concerns about this because, of course, we've talked about this so much on the show. We have concerns with Facebook. Yeah, it feels a bit like we've slipped into a Mr. Robot episode, though. So <laughs> altruistic or not, it's... um. Is it Evil Corp that we're talking about? Yeah, Facebook puts together consortium of, we have now 27 members, $10 million a pop. Um, it is run as a not-for-profit out of Switzerland. That's the Libra Association, I think it's called. Um, and so that is the group that is going to control the blockchain, set the rules for the blockchain, the on and off ramps, et cetera. And then we have Calibra, which is the wallet piece that um, Facebook is developing on top of WhatsApp and its other platforms. So uh, is Libra uh, an altruistic move? I No. I mean, nobody's doing this because they're all nice guys and they want to see the world be better. I think we need to be pretty clear about why, what these digital currencies can do. Um, and especially like Ali just said, this is going to get us into crypto. If AOL was the thing that got 25 million or hundreds of millions of people online, this is going to be the thing that gets them into crypto. So we need to start understanding how these currencies are going to affect our day-to-day life because Facebook won't be alone, right? Google is working hard to possess the technologies and invest in the technologies that will get them into this game finally. And Amazon's already there and Microsoft will follow somehow. So here we go. Crypto, here we go. You can, you can tell, uh, Haley, right away that regulators are, are quite nervous about this. You know, I, I think there's been multiple senators or uh, people from the House in the U.S. that have already sounded some alarms, uh, you know, in regards to this, this move by Facebook. And it, it's, for obvious, it's for the reasons that Linda just said. They're, they're quite obvious when you think about it. The regulation has not 
not even caught up to now. And we've had cryptocurrency in the news for the last two years, uh, two and a half years. It's been quite prevalent. Uh, so the, the fact that now Facebook's coming into it with their own new currency and the regulation has still not caught up is, uh, you know, this is this is going to make people nervous. And regulators, uh, if now is not the time, then then certainly there's a lot of room for error uh, as they roll this out. Yeah, and I think it's important that when we're looking at Libra that we're we're distinguishing between people saying, well, if I put $100 into Libra, how can I sh- be sure that money won't evaporate? That's one piece. So how do, how do I know this is a stable market? And it is, it seems to be, it's backed by real assets. So it's perhaps even more stable than a Bitcoin, one, one could argue perhaps. Um, but that's not the issue. The issue is for me, it is what is the data collection piece? Why is Facebook doing this? Why are these companies getting into this? It's because if you look at your travels through the internet, do a, a search through your own history on the internet and see what picture that paints of you. And now look over at your credit card and your bank statements and see, is that the same picture it paints of you? No, because your spending habits are really personalized, detailed tracking of who you are and what you're doing on the planet. That's the Facebook, the piece Facebook wants to collect. That's the piece these people, these companies are going to collect. And that's the worry. They they haven't been keeping our data very private to date and this is a hugely personalized level of data that we we have to keep private. And and why would we think that Facebook would be able to figure that out, that privacy piece? All of a sudden, they're going to not need to apologize for leaking the financial records of hundreds of millions of people. It's just, it's crazy. that it, It's definitely regulation needs to step in. The moratorium yeah. is a good call. I look forward to seeing what the hearings next month are going to bring about. I don't have a lot of hope for this slowing down. It's going to happen. So we need to get on board and figure it out and slow it down as much as we can. And I think bring in regulation as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think part of the problem here is going to be that Facebook probably doesn't know or doesn't have plans yet to know the full extent of what this currency is going to be used for. And so, you know, you're going to be walking into those uh, hearings, not with the full picture of the future. And that's that's always a problem with tech, right? You don't really know until you launch and you see what the traction is and you see what all the use cases are and the applications. And then you start to, you know, you build out utilities over time. Uh, I don't think all of the, all those things have been thought through. And that's tip, that would be, you know, the, the track record of Facebook anyways. That's sort of how they operate. Right. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, 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 there's definitely the potential here where it could get slowed down by Congress, but they, they do have to put their foot down and, uh, you know, and make it a big deal. And then we look at what the UK is saying. The UK is saying, well, let's use your Facebook sign on to get you into all of our government services. Well, think about that. So so what we're what we're then saying is, OK, well, we have a way of paying for things that have an, a, a zero, close to zero transaction fee. So the governments jump on board that because it's a cheap, free, easy way to to move money around their systems. Again, not piecing in this data component. What, what happens when we use these this, Calib- this Calibra wallet? What happens when we use it? Well, all of our activities can be tracked. Facebook's going to promise not to share it. We know how that's going to go. So even yeah. governments who don't quite understand the implications of this essentially free wallet, right? This free service is way of moving money inexpensively. If they don't understand the implications of it and jump on board, like the UK seems to be willing to do, we got a big problem. So we need to educate, we need to regulate and we need to educate uh, regulators so they really get the issues that the very 
challenging issues around the privacy component to what this digital currency is going to bring on. The privacy aspect I find really interesting. And Ali, perhaps you can shed some light on this. In using a credit card, I think a lot of us might think that how we use that and the transactions on it are private, but does our financial history in certain ways get shared already before we even start talking about a Facebook type situation? Is that information readily available to people who want to access it? It absolutely is. I mean, not I wouldn't say it's readily available for anybody, but it is being shared among banks and bank credit cards and uh, and and authorized, uh, you know, uh, third parties. Uh, oftentimes, those are marketing agencies and uh, and uh, companies that you know will go and uh, try to monetize the data on behalf of the banks. So banks don't. I don't think anybody should kid themselves. Banks are uh, big, mon- big big monetizers of data and 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 your banking data, and uh, they do it for their own purposes, uh, mainly to drive profit. But they're you know they're also helping other businesses that. Uh, you know, maybe have an indirect impact on the bank. It's happening all the time. So then it raises the question, Linda, from a consumer point of view, are the costs worth the benefits in here? What do you think some of the benefits might be to a Facebook user? The benefit is going to be disrupting the banking industry, um, making international transfer of money be close to free mm-hmm. and immediate. And we don't need to ask permission to do it. We're going to be able to just do it. We don't need to wait for a credit. We don't need to wait. We're going to have ATMs perhaps around the world transferring real dollars into this digital currency. Um, So there's a lot of benefits to disrupting that piece because credit is expensive. Transferring money is expensive right now. And it's it's making it very difficult for people in volatile countries with uh, currencies they can't trust uh, to get into a currency market what they can um, they can rely on. So this this could be a benefit to them. Um, but again, the other side I'll harp on for one more moment. The benefit, the other side of that coin is now everything they do can be, uh, somehow accumulated and, and doled out to whoever has the permission to see the data. And we did see with the Chinese government and their Sesame credit trying to have ranking scores for their civilians. Are you, do you pay your bills on time? Are you donating to the right charities? Are you, you know, giving your money away to people or how, where are you spending your money? So this Sesame Credit idea, when the Chinese government partnered with the private companies to help them build that up, even the Chinese government went, whoa, this company has too much of this data. We need to bring this in-house. We can't have a private company holding all this data on our civilians. We need to have that under the umbrella of the government agencies. So, so that's the level of surveillance this kind of data piece can collect. So yeah, we have a great back-end solution or a great benefit for consumers. But again, it's coming at a price. It's not a monetized price to them, to the consumer, but it certainly is to the companies able to use the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think this is just uh, sort of reverse engineering where the money is coming from. If you think about it, you know, I think oftentimes you don't, you know, people don't think too much about this, but they're paying a lot of money to their banks and they're paying a lot of money in fees. And if we're just, you know, introducing a new currency and disrupting the banks on the face of things. Uh, maybe avoiding those fees to the consumer. It looks great on the on the surface, as Linda said, but uh, behind the scenes, that data is just being monetized in a different way. So, uh, you know, the, I guess time will tell where this goes. But I think potentially the intentions can be good, and this could this could change things positively. But there needs to be enough regulation on the back end of things to make sure that behind the scenes, 
people are protected. The consumer is ultimately protected. And I can see a world where this isn't the only other digital currency, right? Why, why won't, is it not just inevitable that Google will create its own? Uh, I saw this as a response to Amazon, uh, Amazon launching a bank, to be totally <laughs> frank. This was, this was, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Exactly. And then we saw Apple kind of dabbling in it with their Apple card. And is this, was that Apple's sort of soft launch into this space to see where it would land? And with a $10 million upfront payment to be part of the Libra Association, that's pennies for these guys, right? We've got MasterCard and, and Visa already in there saying, okay, well, we're going to lose our credit card fees at some point. We might as well be part of this new solution. I guess it's the, uh, if you can't beat them, join them mentality. No banks yet and, as and part of Libra, but I imagine the banks are going to start to come on board. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll make one more observation here. And, um, and I'm not sure, Linda, what you think about this, but this is actually, if you think about it, it's not a new concept. In, in China, this has been happening for what, you know, for the last few years. I mean, they have Alipay, they have WePay, or WeChat, sorry. Um, and, and WeChat and, and Alipay have all of these features built right into these platforms. So they've always had, you know, the ability to have banking built into social media, to be built into your bank history, uh, your credit cards, uh, your spending activity. It's all been sitting in those platforms all, all in one in China for a number of years. So I, I just see this as, you know, the large, you know, the, you know, the companies outside of China almost catching up with the technology. That's right. And, and it's a treasure trove of surveillance data for the Chinese government. So yeah. that's what we need to be aware of. I, I worry that this free, it's free, therefore let's use it, is going to overtake digital currency space as it has in the social media space. People aren't going to see the implications of what free means. But it's, um, it's coming. It's here. Yep. Look out world. Yep. Here it's we here. go. Yeah. <laughs> goes back to that saying that if it's free, you're the thing that's being sold. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're the resource. You're the product. Yeah. Nothing's free. Yeah. Nothing's free. Nothing's free. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Uh, well, on that point, we can move on to some of the other topics. So that's a really tough one to follow. Tesla has won a tariff exclusion from the United States, meaning it's allowed to import Japanese aluminum for its batteries at least for a year without having to pay, I believe, 10% tariffs. Uh, but Linda, I, I wanted to highlight this story because I feel like it shows how vulnerable some of these tech companies are to what's been going on in the world. Absolutely. And they've been working on this for a year or so to get the aluminum over to Nevada. Um, this worked, but they're still, Tesla is still shy some components for their screens and the other pieces of their vehicles that they need to get from China, and they're not going to get those pieces from China. So it is disrupting a lot of tech companies, and, and they're all of them. And how are Apple saying, all right, we're going to start um, manufacturing uh, at home in the US, let's start creating these factories here. But we all know that takes many, many, many years to put in place. So it's a difficult climate for those people. And what, what, how is that going to um, translate to us? It's going to increase the price of our products, our consumer products, or our, our technology products, right? Everything's going to get more expensive. Um, but Tesla got a small win here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is Tesla in two ways vulnerable? Ali being both in the car space, and we've heard a lot about cars and how to potentially tax parts, as well as being a player in the tech space? Are they exposed on two fronts? Yeah, I think they are. Uh, but I mean, there's probably a lot of companies that are as well. I, I don't think they're the only ones. I, when I see, you know, news like this, I wonder how these decisions are even made. And I sort of think, I sort of feel for the, the smaller players, you know, the mom and mom and pop shops or the farmers or whoever else is getting impacted by tariffs. Like how, 
how does somebody in the government or who decides who gets a tariff exclusion? I just feel like, uh, you know, that that to me, uh, you know, it just smells of politics and uh, and money moving around and filling people's pockets, um, which is not, you know, I don't think the, I don't think it's what, uh, you know, is the, the, it should be the true reason for for these tariffs in the first place. So that that I, mean, I just don't I don't really know what to make of this. I think that. Um, I mean, Linda, what, do you, what what are your thoughts? Uh, do, do you think this is going to go anywhere? Do you think Tesla? Uh, do you think Tesla is going to? You know, do you think this this helps Tesla in the long run? I think that it, I agree with you. It sets a bad precedent. It does show that the tech industry was slow to invest in lobbying dollars, and now they're seeing the payoff in many sectors. Um, and I expect that Tesla's lobbying efforts are exactly why it got this yeah. exclusion. Um, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I'm a bit. I'm a bit stuck it's on this puzzling. one too. Yeah, it it's is. Puzzling. It's really, it, it really does reek of um, the U.S. government kind of fighting against its own companies here. Like, why are you making it harder for your companies to build products? Now, this is a this isn't like the blacklist restrictions we see with China. So we are dealing with different tariffs. Um, uh, but it is puzzling. I agree. And who knows what's happening behind the scenes? But that it's just for a year doesn't mm-hmm. eliminate that uncertainty. There still have to be decisions no. made to either go somewhere else to find those parts or to factor in potentially higher costs. But again, who knows what the conversations yeah, are well, between the company and the government? Let's well, hope they're bringing in for yeah. a lot of these. It's a worry for a lot of these tech companies because a lot of these parts they're not readily available in many countries. Like some of these are are sort of rare earth metals and precious metals that you can only find in certain countries. China, are, <laughs> yeah, and China included, exactly. So. Uh, I mean, I think it could be a definitely a long-term problem, but uh, there's some good news. The 2020 elections are next year, <laughs> so so maybe, maybe well, it won't matter. Fingers, well, or <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> More uncertainty, exactly what we need. Just pile it on. Our final story, Apple is launching, rolling out a national expansion effort. It's well underway, and it includes bringing 2,000 new jobs to Seattle over the next five years. That is double what their original plans were. I'm curious what that this might mean for Vancouver. We already have some challenges hiring technology. We have Apple significantly enhancing its presence just south of the border alongside Microsoft, alongside Amazon. Could this be a challenge, Linda? Absolutely. They're calling it a key engineering destination for Apple. So HQ2 in, a, in an Apple way, <laughs> um, I think it's uh, going to be a big drain, drain, brain drain for us. Uh, it's an easy... It's a possible place even for people to work almost in the day and live in Vancouver in the afternoon if we get the rail line that connects us, the high-speed rail line. But yeah, it's a, it's an issue, but it's a great thing for Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, congratulations to Seattle on that. Um, and the area that it's moving into is, is an interesting area. It's one of the largest corporate um, office uh, parks in the world right? With some of the biggest tech companies in the world now positioned all in this one area. So it's an impressive setup. And I think Apple's going to grow it Mm. Mm -hmm, even more. Yeah, Ali, it sounds like a a smart strategic move for Apple to be right next to some of the biggest companies on the planet. Do you have any thoughts on what this might mean for Vancouver? Is there any silver lining potentially for a tech ecosystem here? Yeah, possibly. Uh, You know, we are, we do have a very competitive, uh, you know, commercial real estate market here. There's not a lot of space for startups. There's not a lot of space for, um, you know, just for companies to get off the ground these days. So 
you know, is this possible? There's this impossible silver lining scare where, where you know, maybe shrinking the size of our local uh, tech scene may, may not be a, a bad thing, just given maybe we're not ready for a, a very heavy expansion uh, just yet. Um, but, you know, that, I think that's only one perspective. I think, you know, ultimately we don't want to see jobs leave Vancouver. Um, a lot of them come to Vancouver in recent years, especially with the Trump policies. A lot of, a lot of jobs have moved up north. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see these, them picking Seattle over, let's say, uh, let's say Vancouver as an example or Toronto. Um, but, uh, you know, if I'm Apple, I probably would, 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 would try Toronto or Vancouver just because, uh, of the talent pools and because of the, the currency difference, I think it would make a lot more sense. But uh, certainly Seattle is a safe bet. Uh, you know, as Linda mentioned, there's tons and tons of uh, large corporations uh, headquartered or situated right in downtown Seattle so uh, or on the outskirts of Seattle. So it's, uh, you know, from a talent acquisition standpoint, it's a no-brainer. And the Amazon employees can just walk a few blocks down the street to their new job at <laughs> Apple, perhaps. And they will. And they will. <laughs> and they will, yeah. And then walk back. And, and then walk, walk back. between yeah. whoever's willing to offer more. <laughs> and then maybe Vancouver. Yeah. If we get something together, and we can have a good pitch. Linda, Ali, as always, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Haley. Thank you. That's Linda Focus with me here in studio, CEO of Glue Technology Society. And on the line from Toronto, Ali Pordad, CEO at Progressa. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. You can also listen to all of our episodes over at BIV.com slash audio. For more business news, head on over to BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. Listening.